Thanks for listening to the Pop Culture Cosmos and the PCC Multiverse. Check out more great podcasts today on one of these awesome affiliate networks. You're listening to a Weeby Geeks Network podcast. You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. The Tangibound Network. Check it out. Tangiboundnetwork.com. Listen to this show, the latest episode, every time. A proud member of the Gunna Geek Network. The opinions expressed are those of each individual. Check out all the other geeky podcasts over at GunnaGeekNetwork.com and get ready because geekiness begins in 3, 2, 1. On this week's show, we're talking about what Solo can do at the box office and what Boba Fett may be up to next in the Star Wars saga. Is the time right for Battlefield to shake their Call of Duty demons? And how can you make the better burger? All this and more as we reach our next stop, the PCC Multiverse. Don't be alarmed. The quasi-shimmering light before you is a trans-dimensional gateway to other worlds, other voices, other thoughts, and other realities. Up feels like down, and down feels like the number seven on a Wednesday morning. Don't worry. That quivering blood-boiling sensation under your eyebrows is all a part of the charm. Welcome to the PCC Multiverse. Hello, everyone, and we are back once again with the PCC Multiverse. This is Gerald Glassford from Pop Culture Cosmos and Game Source. We truly appreciate you being here each and every time you listen to our show. But it wouldn't be a PCC Multiverse without my good friend. He is the man amid the legend behind Humanic Media. You gotta check out all the great shows Humanic Media is presenting today by checking it out on humanicmedia.com, plus also all of their great shows and their great channels on Podbean, YouTube, and so many other different outlets. It's the man himself. It is Josh Peterson. What's up? Hey, hey, hey. You know, just wrapping up this thursday night with some good podcasting and and uh a clear gerald glassford tonight because your computer's not all wigging out man not right now but don't say that don't jinx it man don't wait, jinx wait, wait, it wait, look hold on hold on wood desk all right we're good no. all right golden girl shirt on i'm telling you man you're rocking it proud there you go we're good wow. man. let's get this show on the road you know it's going to be a great show we have for you today we've got Ben Arnault from the Smoking Hot Confessions podcast. He's going to give some inside tips on how to grill and also make the better burger. He's got some interesting ideas, not only for everyone out there that loves to grill this Memorial Day weekend, but some great ideas as far as making burgers for the kids and how to get them to eat their veggies. He is coming along the way with all those ideas here in a few. Plus also as well, Hunter Ferris, from Song Appeal, the podcast, he's going to be stopping by to talk more about some of the thoughts and feelings behind the music of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Our good friends at the TV Ratings Guide also returns later in the show. They're going to be talking more about what happened with the upfronts and, and filling us in on another couple more networks like CBS and Fox, and, and basically they're going to break down exactly what they liked and didn't like about what those networks did. But Josh, 
I got to tell you, it is a great weekend I have been looking forward to for a long time, and I know you have as well. It is Memorial Day weekend. Solo is out in theaters, and I'm so excited for it. I cannot wait to see it. I'm actually going to be heading into the theaters for it, getting my tickets on Monday, going to see it then. I wish I could see it sooner, but just things are not going to be able to line up for me. What are your thoughts on Solo, and what do you think it will do when it comes out this Memorial Day weekend? I keep thinking about this. I've actually been thinking about this a lot today because Solo is tracking pretty low right now. It's tracking so low that, uh, let me see what I did there. Pardon the pun. Actually, there's no like right segue for that. Anyways, I want to see it. Amelia, I've been reading a lot of uh, interviews with Amelia Clark and like she seems to think it's a good movie and she also thought terminator genesis was a bad movie so i trust her i feel like you know we could be friends but deadpool and avengers are still doing pretty well so it's going to be interesting to see how that translates but it's a star wars movie so i think that um rotten tomatoes rating aside it's still going to do pretty well and people are going to go if anything people are going to go see it just to bash it so I, i i still have high hopes for solo i don't know what are your thoughts have you been keeping up with any of the news articles I have been. It is tracking around the same as Deadpool 2. They're both around 70% on Rotten Tomatoes and also Metacritic as well. They're both getting eh, pretty good ratings, but not great. I will tell you, I saw Deadpool 2 this week and was not impressed. It is a clear downgrade from the original, but I was clearly, clearly disappointed. It did tell a little bit better narrative than the first But the big laughs are not there. And I guess the best parts of it were actually after the credits, which is kind of disappointing for me. Uh, I will say Domino was, of anybody, the most interesting aspect as far as the the characters are concerned. And even Deadpool, Ryan Reynolds, even in this larger Unleashed form, still unfortunately couldn't get it done with the jokes because they were mostly, if they were hits, they were only like singles this time. There was no laugh out loud moments for me, and I was kind of disappointed with that. But be that as it may, it's still going to be tracking about 60 to $70 million. Meanwhile, Solo is tracking anywhere from 130 to $150 million, which, like you said, is Solo for the Star Wars franchise movies since it's been purchased by Disney. These are first world problems because if it comes out to a $130, $140 million type opening domestically and $300 million worldwide, that still is a pretty darn good start for Solo. I'm just excited for it. I see a lot of good things for it here along the way. I think it will track okay. I think it will have the legs. I think it will actually have have better legs than Deadpool 2 because, like I said, I I think the word of mouth with Deadpool 2 is that it's it's not as good as the first one. And we're already seeing some declining numbers because of that as compared to the first one. Still, you've also got Avengers Infinity War out there still packing in the mileage as it tries to inch closer and closer to $2 billion. So there's a lot of competition out there, but it's also great for movie fans that they have this kind of selection with all this pop culture, sci-fi and also superhero stuff that's going on out there. So it's, it's very interesting to see what happens with the solo movie. The Star Wars anthologies are far from done. I know Rob and I talked about our preferences for a Lando versus Obi-Wan and that we liked both, but we kind of like to see a Lando more. 
but Obi-Wan is still be very welcomed by us. We, I think Obi-Wan is in kind of like a pre-production stage at this point, and it was just confirmed this past week as well that a Boba Fett movie is now gearing up, uh, writers being attached to it, and they, they're trying to see what they can come up with as far as a Boba Fett movie. Now, to me, I think a Boba Fett movie, even though he's very cool and a lot of people out there still kind of dig him and they, they love that idea, it still probably to me will track even less than a solo movie with the way the solo movie is going to be performing this weekend. Your thoughts on the Boba Fett possible movie coming to light as far as being another movie in the Star Wars anthology series? Okay, so remember back when they first announced Solo and I said I didn't really care that much about seeing a Han Solo solo film? Well, do you know who I care even less about seeing in a Solo film? A little bounty hunter named Boba Fett. He's a one-off character for me. He's like, oh yeah, it's kind of cool. He's got a jetpack and stuff. But I honestly could give no care about Boba Fett at all. Like, I saw his origin story in, Star- in Attack of the Clones. I don't need to see any more. I don't care what happens to him after the Sarlacc. And I don't care what's going to happen to him. I just like, he's just one of those characters. It's like when people say, I hope maybe one day there'll be a Yoda movie. I don't care. No, I just like, there's, there's enough. I have enough ill will towards Star Wars right now. Like I don't even want to waste my time. Solo looks cool, but like, to be completely honest, I will not go see a Boba Fett movie. Like maybe I'll check it out on Netflix when it comes out, but it's not something I'm going to go to the theaters for. I think of the movies that have come out in recent times, Rogue One and a Boba Fett for me are probably the least interesting to me. I know after the divisive thoughts and opinions on The Last Jedi that just came out, it's going to be tough sledding for Solo in its first weekend, but I think it'll win over some fans. I think it's going to prove out to be hopefully a little bit better than everyone is making it out to be. It's had a share of issues and concerns with directors, being fired, Ron Howard coming in, actors being replaced, et cetera, et cetera. But I still think that Solo will perform admirably this weekend and going forward and be something that the Star Wars series can still be thought of nicely when we're talking about a series as a whole. So I don't know. I just Boba Fett, like I said, it doesn't do the trick for me either. But I know he has like that niche audience that just goes gaga anytime Boba Fett is mentioned or if he's put in a battlefront game or or just any type of situation where he gets announced, there's that small niche of people out there that just are just crazy about Boba Fett and just clamor to this 100%. Will it translate to a general audience? Will it even translate to a casual Star Wars audience? I'm not so sure on that. If Solo doesn't connect with audiences, I'm not sure Boba Fett will as well. There's nothing interesting like, okay, so people like to see the Star Wars stuff. I think mostly for like the the supernatural stuff. They like to see the force, like to see the lightsaber battles. Han Solo and Rogue One were interesting because they're legacy characters. So you're, you're more invested in them. But Boba Fett was literally just a side character. He's a blip on the radar. And he barely said maybe like four or five lines to the entire movie, the entire original trilogy. So I don't know. I don't know what the obsession is with him or why. Like, is it? He's got a jetpack, but like that's all, you know, as a kid, that's the only reason I thought he was cool at all was because he had a jetpack. But like, you know, looking at him now and as as an adult, and I'm thinking to myself that he's, he's sort of lame. I don't know, man. I don't understand the obsession. I'm already to, to be completely honest. I am 
just I'm exhausted of Star Wars. Like I don't even I don't even care anymore. I'll go see Solo and I'll go finish off this trilogy. But after that, I don't I don't even know if I'm gonna bother going to see these. They might just be things that I'm gonna wait until like the Red Box or whatever to check out because I just don't see any point in going to it. Not even if the Mace Windu film comes out. Well, I mean. Only if if the Mace Windu plot revolves around him getting snakes off of a spaceship, then I might think about it. And he can use explicit language. An R-rated Star Wars film. That would be kind of cool. Yeah. Yes. An R-rated Star Wars film and just uh, an arm. The Mace Windu. What is he? He was missing an arm or something, right? In the. Yep. So he'll be just handling snakes with one arm and he'll be. Expletive. <laughs> You said handling, man. Handling. Ah, got a poor choice of word. <laughs> in the end, after he finally, when he'll he'll like fall off the plane, and then they'll uh, someone will go and pick up a little pager, and will have the uh, symbol for Captain Marvel on it. There you go. There you go. Those tie-ins are everywhere. But Solo does come out in theaters this weekend. We're definitely looking forward to seeing that one. Beyond it, it's kind of up in the air. A Boba Fett movie we're not so high on, but we'll have to wait and see. I would thoroughly enjoy a Lando or Obi-Wan movie. I think those two would really have some kind of style and panache because of the lead actors that play them. But a Boba Fett movie, like you said, to me is kind of lacking. So it would have to have a lot of other characters that are central to the plot that really enhance that whole movie. But Solo does hit theaters this weekend. We're excited for it. Are you excited for Solo, and are you going to check it out this weekend? Share us your thoughts, popculturecosmos at yahoo.com. Also as well, popculturecosmos, Humanic Media, and GameSource on Facebook and Twitter as well. Well, like I said, we're going to have a great show for you today. We've got Ben Arnault from the Smoking Hot Confessions podcast. He's going to be stopping by, giving you tips on how you can build the Better Burger this Memorial Day weekend. Also as well, Hunter Ferris from Song Appeal, the podcast. He's going to be stopping by with his thoughts, continuing on the music of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. The TVRatingsGuide.com, they're also standing by later in the show with their thoughts on CBS and Fox. All this and a whole lot more. So once again, thanks for joining us again, as always. We truly appreciate it. This is the PCC Multiverse. Nothing's better when grilling your favorite meal than adding some delicious Wheelie Q rubs, seasonings, and gluten-free barbecue sauce. Made with the finest ingredients, Wheelie Q products pack a ton of flavor to your meals, whether it's ribs, chicken, steak, hamburgers, fries, or vegetables. To get your hands on some of these tasty Wheelie Q items, Head on over to www.wheelieq.com and a portion of all profits made will go into finding a cure for spinal muscular atrophy. PCC Multiverse listeners, act now and get 15% off your order today just by entering the promo code POD2. That's P-O-D and the number 2 at checkout. For the tastiest food on the grill, nothing's better than Wheelie Q items today at wheelieq.com. And we are back once again. It's Gerald from the Pop Culture Cosmos. I got to tell you, every time he comes on the air, it's always a pleasure, but it always leaves me hungrier than before I started talking to him. If you get a chance, and you got to make sure you do it on a full stomach again, because you'll be very hungry if you do. 
you got to listen to the Smoking Hot Confessions podcast available on, of course, Apple Podcasts and so many other podcast outlets. Plus also as well, if you want the best tips in grilling, barbecue, and anything else that you are that you want to do as far as outdoor cooking, you got to check out SmokingHotConfessions.com. It's my good friend from the beautiful country known as Australia. It's my good friend, Ben Arnaud. What's going on, man? Mate, I'm super excited. I'm super happy to be on the show again. It feels like ages since I last spoke to you. And I think I was just getting ready to actually come to America at that stage. So, uh, yeah, I've, uh, I'm, if you'll pardon the barbecue pun, I'm on fire at the moment. So uh, it's, it's happy days all around here in Australia. And I know you did come here to America. You competed in that extremely large tournament in Texas, I believe. Is that correct? That's right. It was the World's Barbecue Championships in, in Houston. And how did you place? I got to know. How did you place? In the international sub-competition, we came fifth. And in the overall competition, there was 252 teams and we came in 90th. So that was just awesome. That was so good. It was unbelievable. So, so honored to be in the, in the top 100 barbecue teams in the world. I think the voting was rigged. I think, you know, you, you had to be the favorite. I think just somebody, <laughs> you know, just it's just not, it was not actually good sportsmanship on our part. And I want to apologize for that. We should just let, you know, let you win, bribed maybe some officials with some more ribs, those juicy ribs that you make. And there you go. But uh, all right, well, next year, next year, next year, we'll, we'll get you into the winner's circle in that time. But yes, congratulations on your top 100 finish indeed. It's always great to have you here. And always great to see you and actually hear more about your winning ways, not only from here on your podcast, also as well on smokinghotconfessions.com and your social media outlets as well. He can also be found on Facebook and Twitter at Smoking Hot Confessions. But we're here to talk grilling, my friend. And there is no one better I like to talk to about grilling. It's coming up Memorial Day weekend here in the States uh, a lot of times. Actually, for many, it's the first time of the year that they'll just whip the grill out of the garage or they'll just dust it off or they'll go down to the local store and and buy one for the first time and get get it going. And this is really when the summer grilling season starts for us here in America. One of the things I wanted to obviously talk about when it comes to grilling is concerned building the better burger and we'll start off with that i want to ask your thoughts on building the better burger what do you think needs to go into it is it just a straight grill do you like a lot of seasoning with it do you have any type of thoughts or ideas and advice on for people out there that may be interested in building the better burger this summer well, mate, when it comes to burgers, you're really only limited by your imagination. There is virtually nothing that you can't put into a burger. I've seen, you know, photos of burgers on Instagram and whatnot, and they'll have slices of pizza for the top and the bottom bun. They'll have the meat in the middle. They'll be drizzled in like caramel and Nutri-Grain cereal and just wacky stuff, absolutely wacky stuff. So you're only limited by your imagination. Some of my personal favorites, something that I like to do, I have a beautiful recipe on my website for a bacon jam. And so one of the things that I like to do is actually get a really nice pork burger patty mix and I press my own burgers at home and I make them stuffed with that bacon jam. So when you slice the burger open, all this like sort of hot bacony goodness just comes oozing out of the inside of the burger. And it's just, oh, it's, it's just so good. It's just so good. 
Oh my um, goodness. You already you already get me started, my friend. You already get me started. I'm telling you. But you can find that recipe for the bacon jam on the smokinghotconfessions.com website. Is that correct? Absolutely correct. Yep. There's a search bar in the top right corner. Just hit on that and go uh, bacon jam. It'll come straight up. Now, when you're cooking the burger, for me, I usually have a tendency to lean towards the well done because obviously, first and foremost, is the safety for everybody that's eating it. I want to make sure that it's been cooked enough because I don't want to be that guy who sent everybody home. They're driving in the cars and they're already getting sick or whatnot. So, and I know that's happened to me before in the past where I've actually, you know, eaten a burger and had to pull over on the side of the road because it just really wasn't cooked enough. I won't tell you what I did when I pulled over the side of the road because you get the idea. When you're talking about grilling the better burger, obviously there has to be a lot of thought that's put into it other than just throw those frozen patties out there and go from there. Because you obviously have started off well with what you were talking about with adding the bacon jelly and adding those couple extra steps of care to make it a much better burger than what other people seem to do out there. Yeah, well, the the first thing to do is um, if you're not doing it yet, start making your own patties from scratch. So get yourself like a nice 70-30 blend you know, 70% meat, 30% fat, because you still want some of that fat in there because the the fat's where the flavor is. You can go a little bit leaner. Some people like 80-20. That's about as lean as I've seen. Because the meat is ground, you still need that bit of fat in there to keep it juicy. Otherwise, because it's ground, it's going to drop all the the other natural moisture out and you're going to be left with a real dry sort of chalky patty. So yeah, first tip is to get in there and just start making your own patties. Go, Go wild. Go nuts, put put some seeded mustard in there. I like to finely chop up some onion, put that in there. You know, if you like it spicy, chop up some, uh, you know, finely chop up some jalapenos, mix that into the burger mix. You know, get it right in there so it all gets to cook in there nicely together. A little bit of egg and a little bit of breadcrumb as binding agent. You're already halfway to a fantastic burger already. On top of that, it then comes down to what you're going to put on top of that on the burger. So... When it comes to the toppings, there are no rules, as I said before. So um, some of my favorite things here in Australia, because I live in a, in a tropical part of the country, is um, I like what, what we call a works burger over here. So it'll be like a regular hamburger, and then they put a slice of beetroot, a slice of pineapple, bacon, egg, and some sauce. And I find that just to be fantastic because I like all the different combinations of flavors, but they're also really, really complementary. So the acidic nature of the pineapple is going to cut through some of the fatty, greasy overtones of the fried egg and the bacon without giving up that flavor of the fried egg and the bacon. So you've got to look at at what sort of things are going to complement each other and make sure that none of them are particularly overpowering all the rest. Oh, that's awesome. That's just an awesome combination of flavors right there. Not too much that they go ahead and dominate the burger, but so much so that they actually provide a nice blend. That does sound very, very delicious. And I I bet it goes great when you actually put them out there. And my goodness, that sounds like a great combination. When you're actually grilling the burger, what are your best suggestions and tips as you're grilling it to what to look out for? Because you know, a lot of people, when they put it on the grill, they're, they're doing like, I don't know what, maybe sometimes as much as 12, 16, even 20 I've seen on actually a grill at the same time. Now, mind you that for someone that does it on a regular basis, that may be keen to go ahead for them and be able to provide a quality cooking for each of those 12, 16, 20 burgers. 
But for someone that maybe just grills on occasion, like me, maybe that's not the wisest suggestion. Is that correct? Go big. You know, if you um, if you've only got a small grill and you want to cook in shifts, as you're cooking, say the first round, like say if you're cooking on a Weber Smoky Joe, it's only what 14 inches across. Cook your first four burgers on there, put them on a plate, wrap the plate in foil, and then get a bath towel. Fold the bath towel into half and then half again, and then sort of sit that down over the top of the burgers. And basically what you're doing is you're insulating those burgers. So while they're staying nice and warm and hot, you're going to be cooking all the other ones, which is going to help with your food safety because you're not going to have food sitting there for a long time going cold while you're trying to finish off cooking the rest of the burgers. So you'll, you'll keep that holding temperature up on the meat there, which is going to really help you out in that food safety department. So you're telling me that going big is better when it comes to burgers and not making them smaller or thinner. Is that correct? I like big, big meat patties. So I like them to be about the size of the palm of my hand and maybe about an inch to an inch and a half thick as well. So basically what I'm looking for in an eye fillet steak, that's sort of the size I'm looking for in my, in my beef patty. I don't tend to like the smaller beef patties, but that said, as I said at the, uh, at the top of the session, I am packing a lot of things into that meat patty. So that's not, that's not a solid inch and a half thick of just ground meat. I'm, I'm putting other things in there as well. If I'm cooking for my son, I'll actually uh, get a bunch of vegetables that are going to cook up and take on the meat color and I'll blend them into the meat patty and I trick him into eating his vegetables that way. So I'll, I'll process some cabbage and some onion and some mushroom and I'll mix all that up with the meat and when it cooks, it all cooks through to that sort of that brown color. So he, he doesn't even realize that he's eating his veggies. I might have to do that for my girls as well. I hear you on that one. Uh, if you've got kids, I've got the ultimate burger recipe for you. It's my Ninja Turtle burger. And so I've, I do what I said before. I mix my own uh, burgers and then I get some American-style skinless hot dogs and I cut them into, into sizes and shapes and I insert them into the burger. So four for one for each leg, one for a head and one for a tail. And, uh, and then I wrap it in bacon. And so it, it's then bacon wrapped. And then I grill that. And so that by the time they're cooked, they end up looking like a little tortoise shell or turtle shelled little turtle burger. And the kids just go wild for it. They eat that up like crazy. Oh, my goodness. That's awesome indeed. <laughs> oh, well, he is the man indeed to help you build the better burger. It is Ben Arnault from the Smoking Hot Confessions podcast. It's always great to talk to him about all the great things going on in the grilling world. You got to check out his podcast, Smoking Hot Confessions podcast on Apple Podcasts. And of course, his great site, which you can get that great recipe for bacon jam, which, oh my gosh, I'm going to check out. Actually, I've been trying to scroll down through here, checking out as we speak right here at smokinghotconfessions.com. But it's been great having you on the show, Ben. And coming up right after the break, it's Hunter Ferris from the Song Appeal podcast telling us more about the music of the MCU. This is the PCC Multiverse. Based on the webcomic by Sarumaru, FX Unit Yuki is now available on the PC Engine and TurboGrafx systems. With eight varying stages of hardcore 2D action, an awesome soundtrack, and intense boss battles, FX Unit Yuki gets the adrenaline pumping as you navigate through its multiple difficulties and endings. Check out Old School Retro at its finest today by ordering a CD-ROM copy of FX Unit Yuki for the PC Engine or Turbo Graphics today 
at fxunityuki.com. That's fxunityuki.com. Welcome back, everyone. So great to have you part of the program, listening in each and every week like you do. It's truly a pleasure to have you out there. I'll tell you what, the Marvel Cinematic Universe is on a high unlike anything we have ever seen in entertainment and pop culture. Obviously, when you have two absolutely monumental hits that have come out this year, such as Black Panther and, of course, Avengers Infinity War, Everybody has got the MCU at the top of their list, uh, on their minds, at the forefront of everything going on when it comes to news, entertainment, and all that. And we're all excited for Ant-Man and the Wasp coming out later this year, and also what's going on next year with Captain Marvel and the actual part two of whatever it's going to be called when it comes to Avengers Infinity War this time next year. But there's some deeper meanings and some deeper thoughts when it comes to the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And I brought on a guest today that I hope will clarify some of these things that you may have not on the surface thought about, but they're there, folks. Trust me, they're there. And we're going to talk a little bit today about the psychology behind some of the music when it comes to the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And with me today, it is Hunter Ferris, host of Song Appeal the psychology of pop and soundtrack music. You can get it today on Apple Podcasts and all those other great podcast outlets, or just check out his amazing site, songappealofficial.com. That's songappealofficial.com. It is Hunter Ferris. And I'll tell you what, Hunter, it is so great to have you a part of the Pop Culture Cosmos. Well, thanks so much for having me. Hunter, I got to ask you this. In, In our previous conversation, we were talking about little bits about the Iron Man, the Thor series, and also the origination of the Captain America series as well. Well, Obviously, when it comes to forgettable soundtracks, the first Avenger, even though I love that movie and is probably one of the most rewatchable films on TV whenever it comes up, I think probably just because of the nature and the time frame that it's thought of and whatnot, I think probably the first Avenger comes to mind as far as one of the least memorable, I should say, soundtracks when it comes to the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Am I correct in that statement, or do you think it'd be something else instead? I'm assuming we're talking about the Captain America march, the one that goes bum, ba da 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 dum Exactly. You know, like I said, it's because of the, the time frame that it fits in, people have a tendency to tune out on it and look for more modern music at this point in time. Interesting. I've never thought about it that way. From my experience, I found that the Captain America, the first Avenger theme is one of the most memorable themes in the MCU. I know it very well because I've watched it so many times and I appreciate it, but I would, it's, you know, speaking from a general consumer standpoint, yeah, yeah. because also the first Avenger is one of the least, how should I say, least performing as far as box office gross wise as well. It, it didn't perform as well as many of the other films in the Marvel Cinematic Universe because it obviously was a start for Captain America. The MCU was still at a, at a birth-like stage and still you know, an adolescence-type stage and still growing. So I think people have a tendency to forget actually what that song was all about. So that's the only reason why I say I didn't say it wasn't good. I didn't say it wasn't bad. I just said 
it's it's not as memorable because I think because people have a tendency in this modern times to tune out anything that's not something that they're familiar with within the 2018 realm. That's one of the reasons why I think it is memorable. Now, my experience is occasional people who know the MCU really well, occasional people who really like Marvel movies, and I'll ask them, hum one of the themes to see if they can remember any of them. And they usually hum the Avengers theme. That is definitely the most memorable theme in the MCU. And then if they get to another one, it's usually the Captain America, the first Avenger theme. Really? Okay. So dun, 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 dun. Now, here's why. The Captain America, the first Avenger theme is basically, it's a military march. It's the kind of thing a marching band would play. When I was a young boy, my father took me into the city to see a marching band and they play. I'm totally kidding. I'm just quoting my chemical romance. Anyway, the whole idea of that song is to make us feel like we're in the military. It's to remind us of every single military song and every single military movie we've ever seen. If you've seen Saving Private Ryan, you're going to be reminded of that theme when you hear Captain America, the first Avenger. If you've seen Patton or Midway, oh my gosh, that theme is so based on Patton and Midway. It's basically what would have happened if you gave John Williams the theme from Captain America, the first Avenger. And if you if you gave John Williams the movie of Captain America, the first Avenger and said, make a theme for this, that's the theme he would have written. I don't know if it's a love letter to John Williams or not. I just know that because that theme reminds us of things that we've heard all our lives, it's a theme we can remember a little better than, say, the Thor Ragnarok theme or the Iron Man 2 theme, which, honestly, I can barely ever remember either of those themes. Well, that's something I also want to delve into. But I, I, I agree with you on the first Avenger because the fact that, I, like you said, it is off the beaten path, but it didn't get to be seen in the theaters by a whole lot of people or a lot of people may have tuned out or forgotten about it. 18 films going in 19 films, what, what have you at this point. But I agree with you on the fact that it does stand out because of its originality and that it is a throwback to those days. And like you said, a great homage possibly to John Williams as well, but star spangled man, I think is probably for me even more memorable than the actual theme itself. That's what happens when you give lyrics to a song. Exactly, exactly. And I think it just fit with the overall theme of the movie. And I thought it was very well done. Like I said, if it got some type of notoriety, I would I would not have been surprised. But I want to ask you on the other end, and you talked real briefly about Thor Ragnarok. And obviously, we've talked a little bit about Thor movies in the past as well. And, and then also the Iron Man movies. You've got three Thor movies and three Iron Man movies. Now... Some of them are well thought of. Some of the movies are not so well thought of in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Share me your thoughts on each because the themes from them, I think for the most part, vary wildly and it's not always for the best. So we're talking about the soundtrack themes, not just the movie itself. Yeah. I mean, because obviously the, uh, the Iron Man 2 is not very well thought of. Obviously, I don't even think of Iron Man 2 as a movie, to be perfectly honest. <laughs> first two Thor movies are not very well thought of the Thor Ragnarok obviously went to go because of the former frontman from Devo. He obviously was responsible for the modern digitized synthesized sound of Thor Ragnarok. That was wildly different from, I believe the first two Thors, but then you also have the Iron Man movies as well, which varied wildly, especially when, when it came to Shane Black's, movie Iron Man 3 and, and what he was going for and what the theme was ultimately ended up being as well. I'm going to be a little controversial about this. 
I think the themes for the three Iron Man movies and the three Thor movies were exactly what they needed to be, for better or for worse. The Iron Man 1 theme is essentially Iron Man by Black Sabbath. It's the same notes, just changed into an orchestral setting or a guitar setting and put in a different order. So the notes from Iron Man by Black Sabbath, notes 1, 3, and 4 on a minor scale just to make things simple. The Mark 1 theme from Iron Man 1 is notes 1, 3, and 4 on a minor scale. It's just putting them in a different order. Iron Man 2, you get a very bombastic superhero theme, much like the Superman March or any other superhero theme you'd heard in the last 10 years or so. Just to remind us, this is a superhero movie. Because honestly, if it didn't have that theme, we probably would have forgotten that it's a superhero movie. Iron Man 3... It's a theme that's designed to be very, as Brian Tyler, the composer for the movie, put it, blue collar. It's in a very normal time signature. It's very simple intervals. It's a very simple tune. It's supposed to be something that's very human, something that we can relate to while still being a superhero theme. It draws on a lot of the ideas of a Marvel Cinematic Universe superhero theme that they'd established over the last five years. The themes on a level of music theory are exactly what they're supposed to be. It's just sometimes... The movie lends itself to a theme that you wouldn't really expect. Thor, you get a very fantastical theme written by Patrick Doyle. Patrick Doyle is most well known for writing the themes from Secondhand Lions, which is basically the Prince's Bride with a kid, and writing the theme for Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire. He's known for doing fantasy work. Bringing him on for Thor 1 was a great idea, and he put in a theme that was that was in major, it had really small intervals, it was just designed to be a normal fantasy theme for, frankly, a pretty normal fantasy movie. Thor The Dark World, you've got this theme that's in 12-8. That is one of the weirdest time signatures I've ever seen in a film score, but basically the idea behind it is to create the idea of galloping and to create a piece of inspirational music, a piece that reminds you that Thor is a god that he's not the kind of person that you and I can relate to. It's a theme that's designed to get us to feel like he is better than all of us and that we can try to be him, that we can never be him, but that we should aspire to be like Thor. Thor Ragnarok, I'm sorry. Thor Ragnarok is a standard Marvel Cinematic Universe theme, but with good reason. Since it's a standard Marvel Cinematic Universe theme, it gives us a reminder this is a superhero movie. Just like Iron Man 2 did with pulling out other people's superhero themes, Thor Ragnarok just reminds us this is a superhero movie. Don't worry, guys. You are in for exactly the ride you expected of a standard Marvel Cinematic Universe superhero movie, which is frankly exactly what we got. Just more so. Bigger fight scenes, bigger action, and bigger comedy. It was basically a normal MCU movie, but bigger. And the theme was basically a normal MCU theme, but bigger. But it was also heavily synthesized, obviously, with the connection, like I said, to one of the originators of 80s synth pop music, Mark Mothersbaugh, the lead singer of Devo. And I'm just going to say this, right? You know, I, I'm, it may not be the most effective. It may not be the best. It may not be, you know, it may be the worst or what have you, or the least effective. But I kind of dig it. Got, <laughs> as someone as someone who was was a Devo fan in the '80s, and yes, I am that old. I, I cannot lie to you, man. I cannot lie to you. Hunter. <laughs> well, thank you for being honest with me. Um, it, it does have a special place in my heart. It's not my favorite, but it does have a special place in my heart 
because of who actually created the music to see like just like when Danny Elfman, obviously Oingo Boingo, you know, the his ties to that, whenever he still does a soundtrack, it's so off the beaten path from what he used to do with uh, Oingo Boingo. This is just the same thing, although this actually does remind me a lot of what he used to do when he used to work with Devo. So the synthesized section of the Thor Ragnarok theme. Okay, that is pretty unique for the Marvel Cinematic Universe. The instrumentation is pretty unique. Usually MCU films focus on orchestral music and occasional electric guitar music thrown on top of orchestral music. Thor Ragnarok, the synthesizers, that was pretty unique. But the melody itself, just the tune of the main theme, that's pretty standard for an MCU theme, which is great because it gives us the opportunity to feel like it's familiar, but at the same time to feel like it's different. Because it's the same theme we're used to hearing. It's just on different instruments. For, for 80s fans, I think it was just kind of a you know, cheap thrill. What can I say? <laughs> now, was it effective? Absolutely. It did exactly what the theme needed it to do. The movie needed a theme that would remind us that this is a superhero movie. And frankly, the Marvel Cinematic Universe has given us this one theme over and over that it's almost trained us to think this is the superhero movie theme of this decade. It's used in Iron Man, in The Avengers, in Iron Man 3, in Thor The Dark World. It's used in about half their movies. Once they've established that theme so well, that style of theme at least, so well, it feels like a superhero movie as soon as we hear that theme, even if the movie doesn't act like a superhero movie. It is Hunter Ferris, host of Song Appeal, The Psychology of Pop and Soundtrack Music. You can get it today on Apple Podcasts and all those other great podcast outlets. Or just check out his amazing site, songappealofficial.com. That's songappealofficial.com. I know I'm going to be subscribing to his podcast today, and I think you should too as well in order to get the best type of analysis and also deep thinking when it comes to music within the pop and soundtrack realm. I appreciate so much having you on the show. Thank you so much, Gerald. Coming up right after the break, it is the folks from the TV Rains Guide with the updates on the upfront season for CBS and Fox. This is the PCC Multiverse. Get ready for Kitty Origins Evolutions, the latest documentary from Rob McCallum. Generously peppered with archival footage shot by the band, this film gives you an honest and brutal look at what it takes to survive in the music industry. Order the DVD, Blu-ray, and live CD triple pack that features recordings from throughout their 20-year illustrious history from RobMcCallumFilms.com. RobMcCallumFilms.com, your place for awesome stories about awesome people and films worth watching. History began on July 4th, 1776. Stay thirsty, my friends. Chubbies going back to the 1970s. No, I don't believe it. And we're back with the show. Once again, this is Gerald Glassford from the Pop Culture Cosmos and Game Source. We truly appreciate you being part of the broadcast here today. May comes around. That's always a big time for television audiences because right now is the time for upfronts. It just happened recently. 
And basically what the upfronts do is, is the time when advertisers and networks get together to not only talk about rates for the upcoming fall season, but also as well the time that networks make their final decisions on what shows to pick up and what shows to leave behind. And here to talk with me today about it is our good friends. They are so appreciated every time they come on. It is the TV Ratings Guide. You got to check out the TVRatingsGuide.com for the latest TV news, information, reviews, opinions, renew cancel indexes, and all the other great stuff that they have going on there. Jessica Boggs, she's here. And also as well, we have one of their main contributors on their comment boards. It is Out of Curiosity. Jessica, Out of Curiosity, just so glad to have you here today. I will start off with with you out of curiosity in regards to CBS. What were some of the things that you noticed this time around when it came to the upfronts, whether shows were picked up, whether shows were let go, or which shows were kept around that were really a surprise to you? Well, for starters, one cancellation which surprised me slightly, not too much, was Scorpion. Now, Scorpion ran for four seasons and it had over 80 episodes. That's around the number of used for syndication and CBS thrives on syndication. They sell their shows to international markets. And I kind of expected Scorpion to get maybe at least a fifth or final season because having over 100 episodes means it's more, um, how do you say, profitable for them. Case in point, Elementary. Elementary is one of my favorite shows, but I understand the past three years it has not performed well ratings-wise and people have a question about why that remains a show that's still on the air. I can tell you one reason why is when in discussing the upfronts at the time recently, the CBS president said in syndication alone, elementary earned them in 2017 over $80 million. So therein right there lies one good reason why that show stays around. Obviously, they weren't able to market Scorpion in the same fashion. I can totally understand that as well. And regards to uh, elementary, from what I understand, CBS had a deal with a small network called WGN, and that's where they actually get most of their money. And WGN, they had their own, they previously had their own original programming slate, but they had to cut everything, from what I understand, because of the deal. They were losing money on it. Elementary was not actually a ratings hit for them. Jessica, I will go to you. And in regards to CBS, what were some of the things that stood out to you in their decision-making in regards to upfronts? I was really surprised by Scorpion's cancellation, especially with the syndication sales, but I feel like it was justified because there was no deal. Okay. And anything else stuck out with you as far as the decisions that they were making that to pick up shows like, again, uh, I know this has been out there that everybody has been talking about that. Magnum PI, similar to what has been done previously with other shows of its ilk, MacGyver being one of them, and also as well, Murphy Brown gets a new life as well with much of the original cast in place, but Magnum PI with an all new crew in place being in there. And and then also, you know, the, the cancellation of Kevin Can Wake was, you know, like you said previously, I know that was a, a little bit out there in social media as well, kind of surprising that that show, which garnered much headlines for a replacement in lead actresses being cut so soon was kind of surprising as well. It had like 1.0, 1.1, sometimes fractional ratings for the most part. At the same time, there was a cast change and it was a it negatively affected 
the long-term prospects for it. What are your thoughts on Magnum PI being revived and also as well, Murphy Brown being brought back from seemingly the dead as well, obviously to touch on those current political themes we now have? I'm guessing also with, especially with Murphy Brown, though, this was a show that originally went on for 10 seasons and it had an upscale older audience. Journalism and news and something that's not covered on as much. I'm guessing it was a pickup to counteract Roseanne's success a little bit, but I don't see it growing as much as Roseanne, especially with its skew. I will say this is in regards to the changes made with Murphy Brown as compared to Roseanne, it has been told by the ABC president that they're going to tone down the political themes for your, for the next season, whether or not that's a help or a bonus. I'm not sure because obviously Roseanne had a uh, great bit of success here in its first season back on television screens. Well, uh, that leads me into Fox television. Out of curiosity, I want to ask you this. Fox television being something that, well, you know, could be Disney television pretty much soon if that goes through or Comcast, you never know. But when it comes to the Fox television properties that are out there on their network, they seem at least on the surface to me that they're willing to try different things. Some of them hits, some of them misses, but they seem to try to deviate a little bit from the norm. I know that they canceled some popular shows like Brooklyn Nine-Nine, which has now found new life on NBC, Last Man on Earth, and some others. What were some of the things that you noticed recently with the upfronts when it comes to Fox and, and the moves that they're making, including picking up The Last Man Standing with Tim Allen? I think they're trying to re- sort of reinvent themselves with this new shift into multi-camera comedies. Now, Last Man Standing... That's kind of a big deal for them because Fox owns it. It is a Fox property. And the reason ABC let go of them in the first place was because ABC wasn't making much money. Tim Allen's contract fees and was a big issue for them and ultimately led to the cancellation. They really weren't profiting from it on their network. And that's why Fox stepped in. They realized it's going to make some money for them. It's already, already has six seasons, over 100 episodes. So it's going to make a lot of money in syndication. Now, regarding the other new comedies they picked up, they only picked up two new comedies for the fall, and they put them on the slot already. All of their comedies are on the fall. And they're trying to rebrand their multi-camera. They're trying to push it out there. They want to bring a lot of awareness to them. And frankly, I'm not sure how this is going to work because they put them on some very bad timings, like Friday, Last Man Standing, and the new comedy Cool Kids, while Rel is on Sundays at 9.30, a slot that hasn't been doing well, which was previously owned by Last Man on Earth, which was also cancelled by Fox. I really don't see how they're going to really pull it off. And on a personal note, I am very disgusted with what Fox has done. They have created a lot of bad press for themselves. They have sort of damaged their reputation by trying to bring back Last Man Standing. A show no one really asked for, but somehow we have it and we have to live with this. I will say this. I know at the time of cancellation, it was actually a lot of people were upset about it. And when I actually posted the article in regards to the actual one of the first outlets that identified that the show is going to be picked up by Fox, it actually garnered the most interest on my site this year. Yeah, several thousand people actually uh, were interested. They were sharing the uh, information and they were really excited. So 
it leads me to ask the question. I think it, what maybe it's politically motivated because I know the show tends to lean on the Republican Avenue, but that's neither here nor there. I know a lot of people were actually that, that commented on the pop culture cosmos Facebook page that it actually garnered a lot of interest. Like I said, it was the highest yield volume article that I've been able to post this year. And it really just seemed like it, it there's interest in it, which le- leads me to believe the question, why didn't they support it enough in the first place when it was on ABC? But Jessica, when it comes to Fox, I know the Orville is going to be on another year and I'm glad to see it, it coming back for some guilty pleasure reason. I know <laughs> I don't know why I can still watch it. I, I don't know why, but it's going to be a little on a little bit later in the year. I know that, but your thoughts on the Fox networks outlook when it comes to the upfronts, do you agree with what out of curiosity was saying, or do you have a little bit different take on what Fox is doing with its programming? They're trying to expand comedy, but they're on a Friday night. There is a change with their cancellations of single cam. They're switching to more multi-cam comedies. Are there any definitive decisions that you see? I know 911 obviously was a big hit for them this year. Was there anything that was out there in regards to television programming that you saw outside of obviously the last man standing decisions that were made to either kick off or bring in that you feel that you need to talk about when it comes to Fox? I feel like with the cool kids they brought in and especially their leads with Vicki Lawrence and Martin Mule and these target an older audience and Last Man Standing on its final season on ABC had a skew of people watching in the 1849 demographic. So it's watched by an older audience in general. So Fox is really not going after the young crowd as much. They're going for an older crowd. Is that what you're saying? They're they're maybe shying away a little bit from the millennial audience. Maybe that they see the millennials out there and younger audiences maybe not being a stable market to broadcast to because of the uh, so many choices and so many things that it's out there and maybe seeing an older market as one that they can tune into that will be reliant each and every week. That's usually what CBS usually goes for. And that's probably not a good thing in the streaming era per se, but we don't know the long-term prospects of it. Once again, it is Jessica Box and Out of Curiosity from the TV Ratings Guide you got to check out the tvratingsguide.com today for all the latest news and information on the TV rating scene, plus reviews, articles, in-depth analysis, renew cancel indexes, original scripts and programming from the TV Ratings Guide. you got to check it out today. There's no excuse. tvratingsguide.com for the latest news and information on the TV ratings world. Out of curiosity, Jessica, it's been so great having you part of the show as always. Cannot wait to talk more television with you. Just great having you a part of the Pop Culture Cosmos. If you're tired of sifting through flea markets for rare and unique games, we can help. Retro City Games in Henderson, Nevada, only five minutes from the Las Vegas Strip, has all your favorite gaming staples, classics, and a wide selection of rare games with new stuff always appearing on our shelves. 
Come in and chat with Nicole or Doug about your love of games and watch as they help you complete your collection or find your childhood favorite. And don't forget, Retro City Games loves trade-ins. So if you have any Nintendo, Super Nintendo, Sega, Xbox, PlayStation, or even PC games, come in and visit Retro City Games today. Welcome to the new metropolis of gaming, Retro City Games. And we're back to close out the show. This is the PCC Multiverse. So we're going to close out the show with our thoughts on the latest Battlefield to hit the airwaves, and that's going to be Battlefield 5. They did mention, obviously, a story, a big, huge expanse of multiplayer. I thought it was a good debut, a good trailer, but I wasn't as impressed as I was, say, when Battlefield 3 came out. There were some trailers leading up to that release that really impressed me there, but this was not too far behind. Comparing it to Call of Duty, I was actually more impressed with the Battlefield 5 than the Call of Duty scenario that was announced the week prior. So I ask you, Josh, now that you've seen both the Call of Duty announcement and what they're lining up and the Battlefield 5 announcement and what they're lining up for this holiday season, can Battlefield finally, and I mean finally, get over the hump and shake those Call of Duty demons once and for all and actually move ahead of call of duty this holiday season i think so because battlefield is keeping its campaign intact and it's co-op and that's something a lot of people have been wanting for a while not only can you not do that with call of duty but call of duty doesn't have a campaign but other than that like battlefield actually looks it looks fun you know i watch call of duty and it just looks oh like there's another multiplayer game to play there's another battle royale mode it's not really something i'm interested in whereas battlefield has always had my goodwill for a long time whereas call of duty i'm just i'm over it i don't care at all so battlefield is something i'll definitely check out and i know like a lot of the people that like brett for example who were did the uh e3 prediction cast with like he's he's a huge battlefield fan so he's you know he's more than stoked to play this game and a lot of people i know who like that genre are really into battlefield so i think that people aren't happy with call of duty and this could be battlefield's opportunity to kind of capture the uh the audience that will more than likely be abandoning call of duty come this holiday season i miss the falling skyscrapers man i, I do miss the falling skyscrapers Ooh, yes yes who doesn't but that was when battlefield 3 was out there it was really just i think one of their highlights of the series battlefield 5 could go along with that Battlefield 1, which is the World War 1, which was the previous entry, that was actually a step in the right direction for the series. I thought that was actually something pretty good. A lot of people got behind it and liked that direction that it went in. This is now going into a World War 2 scenario and it does seem to be getting a lot of favorable press and favorable wording online and social media because of the fact like you said it, it will include a campaign, a co-op one at that. Obviously, the multiplayer aspects have always been there for it. I do like the expansive, large-scale battles that that Battlefield can have. So I'm, I'm hoping this will continue that pattern. So that's good news out there for gamers. If that's the case, that Battlefield could succeed Call of Duty finally after so many years of trying. They've been that Pepsi to Call of Duty's Coke in the first-person shooter genre. So... It'll be interesting to see how it falls in place this holiday, but I hear you, man. I agree with you 100% that Battlefield could actually come out on top, but I think they'll both take a backseat to Red Dead Redemption 2 
Right. Honestly, like anything that's coming out in, you know, a span of six months of that game is just not going to do so well. Even with Battlefield and Call of Duty releasing, uh, I think I want to say before Red Dead comes out, it's still, you know, the moment that game comes out, people are just going to put their controllers down. So it doesn't matter. It'll be it'll be an interesting experiment for uh, gaming studios. That's for sure. I, I actually say there's decent money on Battlefield coming out on top, but it's all up to the gamers out there. Which are you targeting later this year? Is it Battlefield 5 or is it the latest Call of Duty? Just let us know. PopCultureCosmos at Yahoo.com. PopCultureCosmos, Humanica Media, and GameSource on Facebook and Twitter as well. So, Josh, we've come to another end of a great episode. want to thank Ben Arnaud from the Smoking Hot Confessions podcast, Hunter Ferris from Song Appeal, the TV Ratings Guide. Always love it when they're on our show. On Monday's show, we're going to be talking about how Solo performed, the aftermath of it. And I also want to go ahead and talk about the rise and fall of Cliff Brzezinski. Any last thoughts on the way out? You know, e 3s coming up. You can check out our E3 prediction cast. Yeah, man, I'll be looking forward to the next episode. As will I, my friend. As will I. So for Josh Peterson, this is Gerald Glassford. It's another beautiful day right here in the PCC multiverse we thank you for listening and here's hoping you have yourself a great day okay auditions for the new earth station who co-host take one go ahead hello stonehenge who takes the pandora cup takes the universe but bad news everyone cause guess who ha listen you lot are all whizzing about. It's really very distracting. Could you all just stay still a minute because I am talking? Not too shabby. Can you close this up? Earth Station Who. A fun mashup celebrating over 50 years of the Doctor Who universe. You never know where the TARDIS is going to go next. Earth Station Who podcast can be found at www.earthstationwho.com. Earth Station Who is a proud member of the ESO network. We are up on Facebook, iTunes, Stitcher Radio, or wherever fine podcasts are found. Peace and we are done. Did I pass the audition? We'll get back to you. Next. You're listening to a Weeby Geeks Network podcast. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping through Amazon.com or the Tee Public Store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Tangent Bound Network. Let your voice be heard. TangentBoundNetwork.com Thanks so much for downloading the Pop Culture Cosmos and stay tuned as more great podcasts are on the way. Thanks again for listening to us here at the Pop Culture Cosmos.